This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Did you know Geico's now offering an extra 15% credit on car and motorcycle policies? That's 15% on top of what Geico could already save you. So what are you waiting for? Your dentist to actually believe you? And you're flossing every day. Absolutely. Great. Um, And you're cutting down on your sweets? Of course. (laughs) Wonderful. Then I don't even need to look in there. Great. See you in six months. There's never been a better time to switch to GEICO. Save an extra 15% when you switch by October 7th. Limitations apply. Visit GEICO.com for details. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And we are coming to you on a Thursday evening. You are probably listening to this on a Friday morning before the Cubs and Brewers start up a big series at Wrigley Field. But for now, we are here to talk about the Cubs taking three of four from the Miami Marlins at Wrigley Field. Should have been a sweep, but we'll get over it. I'm over it. I don't know about you, Brendan. And doing so, it was the walk-off series, ladies and gentlemen. Chris Bryant with a walk-off home run, followed by Jason Hayward with a walk-off home run. The first time the Cubs have won back-to-back games on walk-off home runs since 1998. Another very fun year for the Chicago Mm -hmm. Cubs, though I think Brendan and I were uh, about six and seven, respectively. So (laughs) our memories of that are a little shaky, but still, I I remember having a lot of fun in 1998. We will break down all four of those games. We will highlight those walk-off home runs for sure. This was a coming-out party of sorts for Brizzo. We had already noted that they were heating up or had already heated up, uh, but things boiling over in this series, if you will, as Chris Bryant is red hot, folks. We warned anyone who may not have believed in Chris Bryant pretty much since the beginning of the year and certainly all through the offseason not to doubt this man that he was healthy and that he is going to remind people that he is one of the best players in Major League Baseball, no hyperbole, 
and he is doing just that. So we will take a look at all of those things. We will talk about a certain pitcher. I'll, I'll leave you guys in suspense for at least just a second here, who, if he had pitched a couple more innings and were qualified, he would be the Major League Baseball ERA leader. Again, I'll leave you in suspense to figure out which pitcher that is, but we are going to talk about him in excruciating detail, I hope, if Brendan will allow it. And we do have some roster moves to discuss. Ben Zobris to the restricted list, Pedro Strope to the injured list, Mike Montgomery called up. And unfortunately, the Cubs have made the decision to bring Addison Russell back. Uh, As we stated back when he was tendered a contract and when he was suspended in the first place, uh, Brendan and I disappointed that the Cubs are keeping him in the organization and ultimately bringing him back, but that is unfortunately not our decision to make, so we will talk about that decision. Uh, But we do, let me recap these four games with the Marlins to kind of set the stage for everything that is going on here, and then we will move on to that wide array of topics that I just laid out. So on Monday, this was a rather frustrating game. Coming off a series where the Cubs sweep the St. Louis Cardinals out of Wrigley Field in mostly dominant fashion throughout the weekend, the Cubs drop the opener with the Miami Marlins. If there's a more baseball thing than the Cubs sweeping, at the time, the first place Cardinals to take first place and then losing a game to, I think, the worst or at least one of the worst teams in baseball— I'm not sure what it is. This is baseball in a nutshell, folks. But this game started well, and it started with Anthony Rizzo hitting his ninth home run of the season. He would add more later in the series. Uh, That made it two to nothing. A Wilson Contreras single made it three to nothing. So after the first inning, the Cubs already up three to nothing. They looked well on their way to uh, an eight game winning streak, is what it would have been at the time. The Marlins get within one in the third. They tie things up in a John Birdie home run in the sixth inning. No offense to John Birdie, but who, Brendan? (laughs) Anyway, uh, in the bottom of the sixth, Kyle Schwarber's single gives the Cubs a one-run lead. But in the top of the ninth, Pedro Strope falls apart. And I I think this, you know, may be a a good time to discuss this. Pedro Strope has a grade two hamstring strain. So he will be out uh, for probably at least a month, I think, were the, you know, initial assessments on that. This is, I think, the same injury that he had last season, if you recall him running to first in Washington in that makeup game. And, you know, the, the the kind of timeline on that, he did make it back for the wild card game, but then reported afterward that he was in excruciating pain doing it. So it's it's going to be a minute with him. So uh, the Marlins took a 6-4 to lead in the ninth inning, and Chris Bryant got the Cubs within one with his fifth homer. He was, like Rizzo, not done in this series in terms of the long ball, not by a long shot, but that made it 6-5. to five. The Cubs could not add any more, and they dropped this one. If you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you were reading about this Strope situation and thinking, boy, Brendan is going to be pissed off about this one. Yeah. Strope reported feeling the hamstring, <sighs> I think, back to that series in Arizona, took time off in Seattle, tried again against St. Louis, felt it a little bit, but felt he could push through it, and then ultimately uh, throwing in this Miami game, it was too much. They go for the MRI and all that. 
Brendan, we've talked about this medical staff before. I am not a doctor, nor do I pretend to be one on TV. But when you have a relief pitcher who had this exact same injury, what when was September? Seven months ago, eight months ago, how, however long ago that was. The minute he says it doesn't feel right, even if he says it just feels a little off, he should not be back on the mound until he's had an MRI. I don't understand what their process was here. And, you know, you're kind of left with with two thoughts here, right? Either he had a grade two hamstring strain and was allowed to pitch through it a couple times, or he had a lesser injury and then pitched through it a couple times and now has a grade two hamstring strain. So just not great. Like, it's May. Just take him out. Don't pitch him. Get the MRI and get it figured out. I'm assuming you're, you're on the same page with me there. 100%. Hundred percent. And the the most infuriating thing about this is during that Seattle series, he sat out, and we were wondering why is Pedro Strope not going into a high leverage situation? Now it makes sense. They were arresting him. So the reason I'm upset about this is because they knew of the issue. They knew they like they they intentionally did not allow Pedro to pitch for two games because of that. So. To allow him to go back out on the to have the same hamstring injury that popped up last September that basically sidelined him for the most crucial part of the season, that's unacceptable. And look, we're we're no doctors. I'm not saying this is even the right way to go about it. It's just disappointing knowing that the Cubs knew this was problematic for Strope. So they have a history of letting guys play out these issues. We've seen that with several players. Ben Zobris had a wrist injury in 2017. They let him play the entire month of May with that. Jason Hayward had a wrist injury in 2016. They let him play the entire second half with that. Brandon Morrow, Hugh Darvish, both delayed bone uh, bruises in their elbow that they couldn't figure out for many weeks. And with David Bodie recently breaking his toe, this is the first we heard of that. Apparently, he's been playing with a broken toe for about a month. I don't understand the logic with that. I, I'm generally a hyper paranoid fan when it comes no. to injuries anyway. I know. You? I know me. But you got to admit, Corey, like that's bizarre, especially knowing the Cubs bullpen is already sensitive to begin with. Like, why are they taking these chances, you know? I I don't get it. And and I think some of some of it sometimes you can certainly write off as like, you know, they're professional athletes, who knows how much they're disclosing and when they're disclosing it. But just get the MRI. Like, yeah, absolutely. Play, but get the MRI. what I was going to say is that Strobe is one that sh- they should be hypersensitive to. He just had this injury. Right. Like other guys, yeah, maybe we give them the benefit of the doubt. Like, you know, you watch the NHL playoffs, for example, and you find out that guys are playing with broken hands that they just <laughs> don't tell anybody about, right? But Strobe is a guy where it's like he just hurt this. Then he hurt the other one in spring training. Like, this has to be something where it's like, you felt some discomfort, full stop, let's get the MRI and make sure that this is not a problem. And, you know, again, like, now he's going to be out for probably at least a month or a few weeks, whatever it is. But So that's great, right? Like, great. (laughs) Anyway, kind of interrupted that, but that was the loss. Now we can just burn through these wins here. And it was, like I said, the walk-off party at Wrigley Field. A lot of walk-offs if you go back to just like the start of 2015. It's been a lot of fun Mm -hmm. at Wrigley Field in the last few years. 
And on Tuesday, it was one Christopher Lee Bryant playing the hero. But to go through the rest of this game, the Cubs getting their runs in this one, a Javi Baez sack fly in the first. The Marlins would take a 2-1 to one lead in the top of the third. In the bottom of the third, Albert Almora with his second home run of the year. And then we do not see any more scoring until, again, Chris Bryant hits a three-run walk-off home run to win this one that was a lot of fun the smile from KB rounding the bases was infectious and we get two nights in a row with the the Gatorade celebrations and I know Brendan that you were watching particularly one the one with Bryant thinking it's like 30 degrees in Chicago he's gonna get hypothermia with them pouring all this Gatorade on him I I was I I was concerned for you I knew that that was gonna be uh, a point of concern for you but a lot of fun, and you can tell, and I saw some people pointing this out, like, you can tell, especially with these two guys, Bryant and Hayward, like, that the rest of the team is so excited for these guys to have these big moments. The the way that they wait for him at the plate, Bryant said that, you know, he, they, they were uh, giving him some really good punches, but that they felt really good uh, because they had just won the game. So it's always just fun to see this team coming together and and having those fun moments. Uh, I did not give Cole Hamill's line on Monday, so I'm going to do that before I go into uh, a certain someone's line on Tuesday. (laughs) Hamill's went six. He gave up five hits, three earned, two walks, and seven strikeouts. I thought it was another really good start for Cole Hamill's. He's been very good for the Chicago Cubs, a 3.38 ERA now on the season. So he's been very good. And also in that game on Monday, we did see the return of one Carl Edwards Jr., who has been great since he came back. He's been in two games, uh, no walks in either of them. He has been uh, very good so far. He looks calmer. He is getting that elevated fastball for whiffs, and it looks good. So, you know, we obviously are glad to have him back and hope that he is able to build on what was a successful stint in the minors since he was sent down. But the line for the uh, starting pitcher on Tuesday, uh, that would be your boy, number 34, the lefty, the veteran, John Lester. He goes six innings, eight hits, two runs, uh, none earned, no walks, and six strikeouts. And This was admittedly, I don't think his best start. His command wasn't as great. His fastball command in particular was not as fine as we have seen. I think especially to righties, I noticed it tailing away from them and out of the zone. So he wasn't necessarily on that edge as fine as we have seen him. Uh, But if there's anybody that I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to when the wind was blowing in for most of this game... uh, you know, go ahead and hit it, Miami. And if you can get it out, you can get it out. But I don't think you're going to be able to. I'm going to give that benefit of the doubt to John Lester. Surprise of the year on that. But uh, we'll come back to him. Of course. We're not done with John, but but I don't want to interrupt the uh, recap again. So on Wednesday, the Cubs looking to at least secure a tie and stave off uh, losing a series for the first time since that Brewer series that we mentioned several times. And this was Jason Hayward's turn to play the hero. The Cubs winning this one by a final of 3-2. to two. The Marlins got on the board first. 
in the top of the first inning with a Starlin Castro single. In the bottom of the fourth, the Cubs taking the lead, a Javi Baez single and a passed ball to score Anthony Rizzo, put the Cubs up 2-1. to one. In the top of the ninth, the Marlins would spoil yet another Cubs win late, uh, tying this one on a Miguel Rojas ground out that made it 2-2. Two to two. We would go all the way to the bottom of the 11th, where again, Jason Hayward plays hero, his second career walk-off home run, and this one, an oppo shot to left field. Another feel-good one, folks. Uh, You know, we've talked about a lot that Jason Hayward is just one of those guys who has not... He hasn't pouted. He hasn't, you know, been angry or anything like that with the media, the fans, or anything during the portions of his time with the Cubs that he has struggled. And in 2019, he has been very good and a much better player on offense. And it's awesome to see him get these moments and to be able to have those instances where he plays the hero and he is the person that everyone is waiting for at home plate. We've seen him, you know, kind of constantly. Len even made reference to this on the postgame interview that Jason's kind of thing is to always deflect to his teammates, even when he's the one responsible for success. And Len started the interview by saying, like, Jason, I know you're you're one to kind of pump up your teammates instead, but you kind of got to take credit for this one. We're going to kind of force you to take credit for this one. So it's always cool to see guys like that succeed in those moments and and be able to play the well, hero. You you got to say what Jason Hayward said though. I mean that was almost too good. You well, can... it's explicit, but uh it's his little... response to yeah. Len was better late than never S word. Uh <laughs> this this is a family friendly podcast. Normally I would just rip into that, but we do like to keep it family friendly. Uh but I I think he said that particular word three times in that interview. So oh, you can really? tell that Jason I, I, was... I only heard it once, so I must have missed it. It was once or twice. I, I, okay. I, I'm pretty sure it got in there uh, multiple fly, times. Well, I, think the, I think the later ones came after he had been doused by, I believe, three separate Gatorade uh, containers. He got the first two, thought he was in the clear, and Rizzo, with the the biggest like childlike grin on his face, was standing just out of view of the camera, waiting, I guess, for him to put the headset back on, and then he <laughs> jumped in there. But there was a really good photo. I It was either uh, Stephen Green, who I mentioned last time as the, the Cubs' t- official photographer, or Brian Casella of the Chicago Tribune. You should follow both of them on Instagram especially. They both take wonderful pictures. It was one of one of the two of them had a, a photo of Hayward doing the interview with Rizzo off to the side with like a kid on Christmas grin across his face as he was just waiting to dump this bucket of, I think, ice water on Jason Hayward. Love it. Love the the way these guys interact with one another. But the starter on Wednesday night was one Kyle Hendricks, who followed up his complete game shutout with Brendan. He only went eight innings and threw 96 pitches. Like, come on, dude. Like, you know, after you throw— Yeah, after you throw an 81 game, complete game shutout, like, seriously, Kyle, 96 pitches, and you could only get through eight? Come on, man. Uh, jokes aside, you never know when people are going to take that seriously. Sarcasm is hard, even in podcasts. But jokes aside, this was another really great start for Hendricks. Certainly a lot of debate in the Cubs sphere about taking Kyle Hendricks out of this game. I was not a fan. Uh, I don't think Brendan was a fan either. Joe wanted to pinch it to, you know, get an extra... Mm -hmm. 
you know, try to get an insurance run, which, you know, part of me doesn't blame him just given how this series had already gone to this point. Uh, but at the same time, Hendricks was cruising. He only gave, you know, eight innings, five hits, one run, no earned runs, the yeah. the one, the lone run coming on his own error, and seven strikeouts. Like, just let him go, man. Like, especially with the state of the bullpen, like, you know, you don't have strokes. Isak is pitching literally every day. He gets so the ball save in this one. I, I would have let him go, but whatever. They they won the game on a walk-off home run. I'm, I'm not going to lament Joe's bullpen management, uh, at least at this current moment. But again, first time uh, since 1998 that the Cubs walk off two consecutive games. And I, I got to tell you, folks, like I, I'm not the biggest fan of playing close games with the Miami Marlins, <laughs> but walk-offs are a lot of fun. So it's kind of like, you know, uh, you got to pick a side. Like, I don't want to be almost losing games to the Marlins, but I love watching walk-off home runs and the guys celebrate at home and throwing Gatorade all over each other. So, you know, it it, it is what it is. But uh, Carl Edwards actually picking up the win in Wednesday night's oh, game. Yeah. Again, he had uh, another good outing to close that one out. He goes a clean inning with two strikeouts. So he looks good. And I think at the very least, these couple outings should be ones for him to build on where it reminds him like, dude, your stuff is good enough that if you just go at these guys, you're going to have a lot of success. Like the, the control, we'll see if it pops up again you know, probably one of those things that he's never able to combat completely or just eliminate the problem. But you got to just try to rein it in, which unfortunately is a really good segue into Thursday's game. The Cubs win, uh, but it was another Yu Darvish start, folks. And he goes four innings. He allows just one hit, one earned run, six walks, and seven strikeouts. If that is not a carbon copy, if Tyler Chatwood didn't do that exact line, at some point in 2018, I would be shocked because that's what it reads like. He doesn't get hit, but he can't find the strike zone. And, you know, again, kind of like last time, I don't really have any special insight on this. This is kind of just what he does at this point. It was the same thing we've seen before where he doesn't have the fastball command. He abandons it and, you know, is throwing those breaking balls, especially the slider, to try and get over the plate. I don't know, folks, but... This may be a vision of things to come as Mike Montgomery, who we mentioned before, is back with the team. He comes in, and if you flipped them around, I could probably convince you that Mike Montgomery started this game because Mike Montgomery goes five innings, three hits, no earned runs, two walks, and three strikeouts, and he gets the win in this one. So if you didn't watch the game, you could probably be pretty easily convinced that Mike Montgomery had started this game. Alas, he did not, but I would not be surprised to see a similar piggyback like this uh, going forward. And the Cubs getting their runs in this one. Chris Bryant, you may have heard of him. He hits his seventh home run of the year in the first inning. That made it one to nothing. And Albert Almora Jr. single made it two to nothing. The Marlins would get one in the fourth on a Rossell Herrera single. And then in the bottom of the fifth, Tony would give us a couple of insurance runs, a two-run home run that is Anthony's 10th of the season. Anthony Rizzo recently, as we mentioned, hit his 200th career home run. This on Thursday was the 200th as a Chicago Cub. So obviously a, a nice moment for him. And always cool to see those guys get those accomplishments uh, in a Chicago Cubs uniform. Anthony Rizzo is a uh, 
true Chicago Cub and will be forever. And it's cool when they when they get milestones like this, especially when they come at Wrigley Field and come in moments. You know, this was a, a big insurance run home run that uh, the team, I think, you know, felt very comfortable getting. You know, gave them a four to one lead that they finished the game off with. Again, Mike Montgomery getting the win. And that is pretty much the lay of the land here. So the first thing that I would like to talk about, Brendan, is Brizzo. I think that that's naturally where we need to go. And I'm looking at an article from friend of the podcast, Jordan Bastion. He was on uh, with us for an interview in spring training. And from his article on MLB.com, he noted that back on April 17th, Anthony Rizzo was batting 159 with a 629 OPS, and Chris Bryant was hitting 219 with a 668 OPS. Jordan says, quote, the duo has heated up in unison over the past three weeks in the time since their respective slow starts. So again, since April 17th, Bryant and Rizzo have hit a combined 320 with a 450 on base percentage and a 750 slugging percentage with 13 home runs, 12 doubles, 37 RBIs, and 25 walks to 19 strikeouts (laughs) in 162 combined plate appearances. Oh boy. Bryant now has a 918 OPS on the season and Rizzo has a 937 OPS on the season. Again, that up from 629 and 668 respectively. So we have often talked that getting these guys going at the same time is obviously and has been a lethal combination for this team, but especially with their slow start, almost nothing that has happened with this team. I, you know, I think even like Javi looking again like the, you know, the 2018 version of himself, Wilson looking like the version of himself that we all wanted. Those are all immensely important and not to be tossed aside, right? But I, they're, they're, it's tough for me to think that there is anything more crucial to the success of this team than Brizzo performing as top of the league talents and both of their numbers have gotten right back up there brennan our homes today are like little cities full of different interneting boroughs like the entertainment district in the living room or the virtual fitness center in the garage and xfinity internet keeps it all running smoothly with reliable speed to power all your devices at once you get coverage around town from the financial district home office to the spa xfinity internet keeps your little city humming with reliable speed and coverage now that's simple easy awesome find great offers and value today from xfinity go online or call 1-800-XFINITY to learn more restrictions apply there's great news during the pandemic the new hypermax oxygen system is here doctor approved clinically tested at home oxygen for improved health fitness and especially your immunity go to hypermaxoxygen.com see how 300 percent more oxygen purity works wonders in only 15 short minutes you're home anyway so why not build your immunity and much more hypermaxoxygen.com that's hypermaxoxygen.com well, we said it too. Like even three weeks ago, we said, wait until Brizzo clicks because we saw Baez doing well. We saw Contreras picking up the slack. And in the back of our minds, we always imagine what if Brizzo comes back and Javi and Wilson keep doing their thing? Well, we're seeing it. They just won 10 of 11 games. They have the best offense right now in the National League. 
And I was looking at just those four guys in particular. So Bryant, Rizzo, Javi, Contreras. And I wanted to see how they're comparing to the rest of Major League Baseball in terms of their kind of their expected numbers. And all four of those guys, Corey, they have expected slugging rates better than 90% of Major League hitters. Okay. Mm. Those are your two, three, four, five Talk hitters. Talk dirty to me, Brendan. I mean, come on, Corey. So first off, was there ever a doubt that Chris Bryant would return to this level? Second not off, on this podcast. Not on this podcast. Second off, was there ever a doubt Rizzo would return to this level? Also not on, not on this podcast. Not on this podcast. So as it stands now, you just read off those incredible numbers. But just to add to that, I almost had to refresh my Fangraphs page because I thought it was wrong. Rizzo has 10 homers. Bryant has 7 homers. Both those guys have Wobas around 390. Rizzo is on pace for over 40 homers. And we know we've mentioned it many times. He's always around, what, 31, 32 homers every single year. Maybe this is finally the year. I think he, it is. You think so? Okay. He wants it. He yeah. wants it, man. But he, no, he did this in 2016. He 32 is the number, by the way. He's 32 is the number. Uh, what, three times? Yeah. yeah. But you know, like in 2016, he was on pace for it. Like, I'm still surprised he never got to it. But anyway, he's, a, he's on pace for over 40 homers. So, you know, you can be excited about that, whatever. I was shocked to even see, like, like you know he's doing well, but to see those numbers in front of you, to see them normalize so fast, it's this, this sport is nuts. Like, I can't believe we're sitting here, which seems like what, like three weeks ago, the tone was completely different around this right. team. We're 22 and 13. We're the best team in the National League, in, in my opinion. Our pitching staff continues to go out there and just throw strikes, strike people out, sans Darvish. This is awesome, Corey. I think getting Brizzo back has really catapulted this team, and we knew this would happen. Yeah, absolutely. We we warned, I think anyone listening to us probably was not necessarily in that group uh, super worried about either of these guys, as I would hope that we've conditioned you not to. Uh, and we pleaded with you to believe in Chris Bryant through the <laughs> off season and trust that he was healthy and that it was going to happen. Um, but it's pretty difficult not to get honestly like carried away with some of these numbers, especially when I'm looking at at Chris Bryant because and I mentioned this I think on the last podcast, but but right now he's doing something that is special. And I think only because of the slow start, it's taking people a little longer to pay attention to it. Uh, But his walk rate would be the best of his career. His K rate would be the best of his career. His WRC plus is at 145 right now coming out of this Marlins series updated to the minute that I am talking. Um, When he won the MVP, it was 148. In 2017, it was 146, so very near the best of his career. He's got a 390 WOBA, which is the same thing. In 2017, (laughs) it was 399, and 2016, when he won the MVP, it was 396. 2015, just for reference, it was 371. So he's putting up numbers that are threatening the best numbers of his career. And for as much as we saw those very silly comparisons of like, oh, this guy has more homers than Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant combined, you know, through two weeks of the season, right? Which I got to be honest with you, got a lot of people blocked on my timeline. I, there, there's certain things What's I don't tolerate. What's your number at right now? Chris Bryant slander is one of those things. <laughs> but KB's 
up to seven. He's heating up real quick. Anthony Rizzo's up to 10. Like, these guys aren't messing around. That's a and sneaky again, 10, I, by the way. Like, yeah, absolutely. That's a sneaky I, I, 10. I don't think it can be understated or, excuse me, overstated yeah. that Chris Bryant is literally in the process of potentially putting up the best season that in we have career. seen from him. Yep. yep. And. Yep. That's absurd. When we 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 kept saying like railing, there's a reason that we were railing on this point. Like from 2015 to 2018, there are I think three players that had accumulated more wins above replacement than Chris Bryant, and I believe those players are Mike Trout, Jose Altuve, and um, Mookie Betts. Yeah. So it's not hyperbole when we say that he's one of the best players in the league. That's not a joke. That's not something we just say because we love him. It's it's factually backed up. And to see him, especially after the slow start, be putting up numbers that are this good and, again, threatening career bests, look out, man. I mean, he his approach right now is so locked in. How he do you is get this guy chasing. out? He is... The, his eye at the plate is incredible yeah. right now. He's pulling the ball for home runs. He's going oppo when he has the opportunity to. He's putting balls on Waveland. He's hitting walk-off home runs. Guys, I, I'm, I'm telling you, we warned you. Like, we need like a siren noise here or something like that, Brendan. But like, it's happening. Like, KB is back and he is gunning for a second MVP. Like, this is not a joke. This is very this is very serious. What's happening here? Um, this is like that Michael Scott gif from The Office where he says, "Oh my God, it's happening!" and everybody's rushing to the door because uh, the fire alarm is going off. Like that. That is what's happening here. Like it is happening. Chris Bryant is back, and he is back with a vengeance, folks. Corey, you saw where that pitch was when Bryant walked off, right? Ninety-nine miles per hour in up on his hands which by the way he hit his spot the the pitcher hit his spot the catcher was sitting up there right there that was the scouting report against Bryant it's been that way the entire first portion of this season and we wrote about this uh, about this on cubsinsider.com but Bryant's been struggling a lot against that very pitch and so for him to take a upper 90s fastball that would have basically hit his knuckles and pull it with authority on a cold Wrigley Field night for a walk-off home run is an insane sign. So you can look at the walk rate, look at the strikeout rate, both of which, as you were just saying, career best right now, almost in line with what Rizzo does on a yearly basis. But for me, seeing him hit that home run on a pitch in on his hands is the most telling sign of what's to come. Because if he keeps doing this, if he keeps rapidly adjusting to pitchers, there is no way to get this guy out. He's walking more, he's striking out less, and the way pitchers attacked Bryant was up and in with fastballs. If Bryant's going to start hitting those, how do you get this man out? You're, you're not going to. That's absurd, Corey that Brian keeps adjusting this much. And we, we talked about it in years past, too. And it's fun just to update the tally mark. But when Brian was brought up in 2015, his contact rate was 68%. Okay? Actually, I take that back, 66%. The league average that year was 79%. Okay? 2016, contact up to 73%. 2017, up to 77%. Last year before he was injured, 75%. 
this year, as it is right now, 78%. He is 2% better than league average in the contact rate category. When this guy was called up, that was his biggest hole, was the strikeout rate. He's fixed that. Now he's walking more. He's combating high and in fastballs. He is one of the smartest hitters, Corey, I think I've seen in a Cubs uniform. He keeps adjusting so fast. I There's going to come a point where you can't get this guy out, and that's going to translate to more MVP numbers. He's a 390 Woba right now, but if he keeps doing this, that's going to go up to like 420, 430. There's no way to get this guy out right now. Sign me up for that. Let's and go. another note, uh, again, from Jordan Bastion at ML Bastion on Twitter, a great follow and a great addition to the Cubs beat already this year. He notes that Brian's home run, uh, the walk-off, came on a 98.7 mile per hour pitch. Only two faster pitches had been hit for home runs across the entire MLB this season, and it's the second fastest pitch that Bryant has hit for a homer. And again, that was not a mistake. That that pitch was not a mistake. The catch, he hit his spot, Corey. If you look at the actual heat map, it's like pinging right in on his hands. He hit his spot. That's what's so impressive about it. So forget all these other numbers, which you shouldn't, but if you're going to, and if you want to look at one example, that's it right there. And just one other note before you move on here, but he did change his bat. I don't know if you saw that, Corey, but Sahadev of The Athletic wrote about this. And Brian's using this like axe bat, which is basically, how do I describe this? The handle of the bat where the knob usually is, is shaped like an axe. Like it doesn't have a circular round knob. It's like an axe. So since he's been doing that, he's been doing like nothing but hitting home runs. I think he hit his, what, fifth homer or fourth homer since switching to that bat um, back in Arizona. So maybe that's part of it, whatever is going on here. But to sign me up, just keep keep doing what you're doing here. Keep walking, keep striking out less, keep hitting homers, keep pounding the ball oppo, pulling it in cold weather. This is en route to an MVP year, Corey. Sign me up for that. And he also gives us, similar to, I, I think it was in that last series where he said it was, uh, you know, super fun, the, the baseball that they were playing. And I love that quote so much. He follows up with another great one after the walk-off. And he says, quote, who wants to come sit through a three and a half hour baseball game when oh, it's yeah. 35 degrees out? Cubs fans. That's who. You're God damn right, Chris. You are right that we do, okay? And there's nothing better than Chris Bryant, like, pumping up Cubs fans. I read that, and I was like, oh, yeah, like, <laughs> let's go, man. But I just just one more note on, on Rizzo since I was doing that comparison with uh, Chris Bryant. He's got a 147 WRC+. plus. Again, we mention this all the time. Uh, 100 is league average. That would be the second highest mark of Anthony Rizzo's career. Uh, 155 is his current high for the 2014 Chicago Cubs. Uh, and his 392 Woba would be also the second highest of his career. 2014 was at 397. So again, we're we're still in, what is it now, close to mid-May. The, the first third of May is almost over. Um, plenty of season left, but it has not warmed up in Chicago, which is typically when we see hitters start to be able to drive the ball a little better. And, you know, as the weather heats up, so do the bats, so to speak. But even right now, 
especially given their starts. I mean, both of their OPSs were in the 600s on April 17th, like I read from that stat from Jordan Bastian. And for them both right now to be on pace for close to or possibly their best seasons of Major League Baseball, look out, everybody. I, I mean, this is this is not a joke. When I went on that hype speech before opening day saying, like, the, these are Theo Epstein Chicago Cubs. They, since 2015, are the best team in baseball. Like, this is one of the reasons why. And when you start to get potentially all-time seasons from Brizzo, right, to go along <laughs> with the, you know, MVP level potential in Javi Baez, Wilson Contreras destroying the ball, Jason Hayward having an, an off, offensive we can call it a resurgence. I don't know what what, what word you want to use. I'll, I'll choose my word there carefully. Yeah. But tread carefully. Yeah. Either way, like it, it, that's got to get you excited because that is it's got me excited, and I know it's got Brendan excited. So yeah. and great job he, by Anthony Iaposi. I don't know what he's yeah. doing over there, but this, there's got to be credit given out to someone, and sure. you can you can put it on the players. I'm sure they're they're of course working extremely hard, but. I oppose he's doing a great job. You can only look at the results. And, I mean, come on. The power is back for everyone. So you got to put it on someone. It has to be I oppose Yeah, absolutely. So I do want to transition now. And you'll you'll have to stop me if you're surprised that this is the direction that I want to go. Um, but I do want to talk about a, a particular pitcher. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, g- give away. So spoiler alert in the beginning, I said that a certain pitcher uh, if he were qualified, would be the MLB's ERA leader. Um, here's the reveal. Guess who? It's John Lester, everybody. Um, th- this is one of those things, Brendan, where when I'm looking at this, I-, I almost don't even know what to do with it because I think that everybody who's listened to this podcast might hear me say something like that and think I'm describing like a dream that I had where John Lester is Major League Baseball's ERA leader. Um, But this is literally what's happening, folks. And so here's the deal. You need one inning pitched for every game that your team has played. So as of today now, the Cubs are at 35 games. John Lester is at 32 innings pitched. So probably in his next start, he'll qualify at the very least in a couple starts. It'll, you know, start to get there, right? Um, But basically, he's three innings off at the moment. When he pitched the other night, he was an inning off. It was 32 innings in the Cubs' 33rd game. But that's you know, getting pretty pedantic, right? You're you're getting pretty fine-grained in terms of how you're defining these things. It's not like he's thrown one start, right, and has this number. He's thrown 32 innings. He started six games. His ERA is 1.41, folks. That is a real number in almost any sense except for this, you know, exact definition of qualifying. John Lester is not the Cubs, ERA leader. He is not the NL Central ERA leader. He is not the National League ERA leader. He is Major League Baseball's ERA leader. Guys, I've said it a million times. Don't doubt John Lester. I laughed. I yelled at people in spring training for talking about how bad his spring training was and anybody that mentions, you know, the back end of his contract and things like that, we won't have it here. Just like Chris Bryant slander, just like Pedro Strope slander, okay? John Lester slander, not tolerated 
on the Cubs-related podcast. And not only is he living up to the contract, which we've said a million times he's been worth light years ahead of what the Cubs paid him. Somehow he's underpaid by the Chicago Cubs. But he is in this season, and he's got the best ERA in Major League Baseball. Brendan, it is almost too on brand for me to even be able to discuss this because it's it's unbelievable. Yeah. I, I mean, he's doing it through command. Like, he's not walking anyone. So that's where the results come in for the majority of the pitching staff right now is like their command is exceptional. And even yeah. for Cole Hamels, he's had some of those stars where he's walking guys. But in, in my opinion, watching those games, he's still showing command. He's throwing where he wants to throw these pitches, and they're off a little bit. But back to Lester, yeah, he has a 1.4 ERA, whatever it is right now. That's insane to even conceptualize at this point, given his age, given the perception around him with that age. I don't know if I ex- I think you're with me. I don't know if you want to expect a 1.4 ERA going I don't, forward. No, no, yeah, and it's not the point. And you know, some of your advanced, whatever you want to call it, these 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 dumb stats suggest he is getting a little fortunate. But personally, I don't really care. I think right now, early on in the year, there's so much variability. It's hard to get lost in those stats. Mm-hmm. It really is. If you watch the games, Lester's pitching. You look for a few things to know that he's on. For me, the number one thing I look for is that backdoor cutter to righties. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's when the pitcher, or rather the catcher, sets up right outside on the black, on the outside portion when righties are up, and Lester pinpoints those cutters. He's been doing that in with, I think, more frequency this year. And there's been a few guys on Twitter, like Aaron Kennelly in particular, who's shown Lester's changing up his location of where he's throwing his four-seamers. So he's adapting to the league. And you're not going to get the same whiff rates in the past. You're not going to get the same velocity that you're accustomed to seeing from Lester. But that's okay. He can survive off of what he's doing now. And he's an extremely intellectual pitcher. He's willing to adapt. He's willing to listen he's going to be okay. And so I keep saying this, but I'm going to, I'm going to keep saying it because I think it's so true. When Theo introduced this man, this future Chicago Cubs legend, John Lester, he compared him to Andy Pettit. And even those, those computers who try to find historical projections, he's been compared to like Tom Glavin. So he's being compared to aging lefty pitchers that have been highly successful in their late 30s. So to expect Lester to have a 1.4 year rate is not realistic. But on the other hand, to not expect him to be good is also unrealistic. So I, it's, it's, it's crazy to go out there and see some of these takes. If the playoffs were to start tomorrow, I would have no issue throwing out Johnny in your top two or top three. I just You have that faith in him. You have that faith that he's going to go out there and give you top that two command. Or top three. What? Okay, maybe John Lester is game one. No okay. question. Oh, I, I don't know. I feel like I would throw, uh, I would throw Hendricks right. Look, you can debate this. You I'm not having this. it. I know you're not having this, but regardless, you know, he, you can make the argument he can be the number one. Sure, go for it. But that's that's where I'm coming at. Is like, yeah, he's aging. Yeah, his fastball velocity is down. Yeah, he's not getting the whiffs he used to. But he's changing his scouting reports. 
He's adapting to the league, and he's going to be fine, and he's going to continue to get outs. Again, maybe not to this serious degree of a 1.4 ERA, but at the end of the year, we could be talking about how, oh my God, there's another pitcher who is beating his peripherals just like Kyle Hendricks does every year, and that's John Lester, Corey. Our homes today are like little cities full of different internetting boroughs, like the entertainment district in the living room or the virtual fitness center in the garage. And Xfinity Internet keeps it all running smoothly with reliable speed to power all your devices at once. You get coverage around town from the financial district home office to the spa. Xfinity Internet keeps your little city humming with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Find great offers and value today from Xfinity. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY to learn more. Restrictions apply. There's great news during the pandemic. The new Hypermax oxygen system is here. Doctor approved, clinically tested, at-home oxygen for improved health, fitness, and especially your immunity. Go to HypermaxOxygen.com. See how 300% more oxygen purity works wonders in only 15 short minutes. You're home anyway, so why not build your immunity and much more? HypermaxOxygen.com. That's HypermaxOxygen.com. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, similar to Rizzo and Bryant, you know, he's some of these numbers are at rates that we haven't seen in a while. His uh, K per nine right now, 9.28, would be the highest looking at his Fangraph page since 2010 with the Boston Red Sox. And his 1.97 walk per nine would be the highest or lowest, excuse me, best, however you want to say that, uh, with the Chicago Cubs and his best since a the exact same number in 2014 with uh, the Red Sox and then the Oakland A's. So, and those are things where, you know, again, like even if he's a guy who outperforms his FIP, whatever, like if he's striking people out at a rate like that and he's not walking guys, he's going to be successful. Right. So, as you said, Brendan, I am definitely not holding him to a 1.41 ERA. I, I don't think that's really reasonable, but he's just been so good. And even if, you know, you just look at like he's given you a month plus of this in the back end of this contract in his fifth year with the Chicago Cubs after being miles worth his contract during the first portion of his time with the Chicago Cubs. So uh, it's it's amazing, man. Like there there yeah. there is a legitimate reason that I, you know, fell in love with him and talk about him the way that I do, and it's because he's really freaking good and you know, he just goes out there and gets the job done. And he's also a bit of a clown. And yeah. I and and I say that because his post-game comments are just unbelievable as he's done in the past. He goes up there in the press conference, he's uh, you know, messing around with Schwarber, who lost a ball in the wind that leads to a run. And then he's messing around with Rizzo, who on a, uh, you know, kind of like bleeder to first, he was yelling at Rizzo. He was saying that it was going to go foul, grab it, and then Rizzo has to do the splits to touch the base. <laughs> it was a funny looking play. But then Lester's like in the press conference, you, you know, kind of uh, razzing both of them. And he he did finish uh, the the uh, Kyle Schwarber note where he said like, you know, yeah, like everything was good except for Kyle Schwarber, you know, doing circles out there trying to catch fly balls. <laughs> and he did finish with saying like, Schwarber said that to me. So I'm allowed to say that I, you know, like, obviously he's not up there, like actually ripping on these guys. But I, 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 I love him as a pitcher. I love him as a player and his sense of humor it never never ceases to uh, make me laugh and make me smile. So that's, do you dislike that's... anything about John Lester? 
I mean, I don't wear camo myself. So as I'm looking at, you know, this this press conference, he was wearing a camo. But you sweater. love that John Lester wears camo, though. You love I, that. About it's him. it's on brand for him. Yes, I, I appreciate his commitment to who he is and and his brand. I, I'm just saying, like, there's no camo in my closet, so we don't exactly align there. But I, you know, hey, be yourself, right? So I, I love how John Lester he is. Right, that that that's kind of the thing when he says the stuff, uh, you know, making fun of advanced stats, things like that. Like he's always very John Lester in everything he does and says, and obviously, uh, I love all of it. So I, I think that you know, as far as this series is concerned, that those are kind of my predominant takeaways, Brendan. I, sure. I I didn't throw this out there in the recaps, but just to, you know, paint this picture again, the Cubs have not lost a series in their last nine attempts. That's pretty absurd, Brendan. That is a really good stretch of baseball. And again, I've been updating this as we've been going here. I hope I have to keep updating it, right? Like, and they just don't lose series anymore. Uh, But that was after the Brewers series. So they lose, uh, you know, the Rangers series, the Braves series, and the Brewers series. And then they start with the Pirates, and they just go on a tear from there. And to be able to, you know, you, the, the, the kind of old adage is always like, you know, two out of three, you know, that type of win percentage obviously puts you in a, in a good place at the end of the year. And that's, you know, kind of something that you focus on when looking at these series. But to not lose one in their last nine is super impressive. And again, I super am going to choose to operate that had they— yeah, right. <laughs> right. Super is is the new word of, of the day on the Cubs-related podcast, thanks to Chris. Mm-hmm. But th- I'm going to choose to believe that had they played that Sunday game and it had not gotten, I think it got snowed out maybe uh, against the Angels, I'm just going to choose to believe that they were going to win that too. So it, it, it would have been nine in a row, I think. And again, just to run through it, they win uh, a series with Pittsburgh. They split with the Anaheim Angels in Chicago, again, the Sunday game weathered out. They sweep the Miami Marlins. They take two of three from the Arizona Diamondbacks, two of three from the Los Angeles Dodgers, two of three again from the Arizona Diamondbacks. They sweep a two-game set in Seattle with a Mariners team that had been playing well coming into that series. They sweep the boring St. Louis Cardinals out of Wrigley Field, and on Sunday, it was on national TV on ESPN. And they just get through taking three of four with the Miami Marlins. There's there's not much that you can say uh, about how well this team has been playing and how impressive of a job they have done. And we've mentioned this before, but it bears repeating. Erasing that one and six, two and seven start, like they're nineteen and five in their last twenty four games. This team is rolling. As we mentioned, you know, Brizzo and their their heating up is certainly at the heart of it. But you look at this, the, the way that this team is playing, the the two through four on, on, or excuse me, two through five on most days of Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, and Wilson Contreras, and it's, it's difficult to not get a little carried away with your expectations for this team, which is, you know, not easy to kind of rein that all in, but I, I, I do just want to point out, there's probably some people that create some projection systems. Pocota, excuse me. Um, Sorry for coughing there on the broadcast. But um, 
Brendan, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm honestly not expecting the Cubs to go 57-70, and 70, so I think that their 79-win projection is going to be just a touch off. Um, I think the Cubs, with the way they're playing right now, should be scaring them into thinking they're going to be a considerable amount off on, on that projection, like in the teens, maybe closer to 20 uh, games off on that, which you'll have to correct me on this. You're the stats guy here. I don't think that was in their margin of error. I don't think like 15 to 20 <laughs> wins off was in their model's uh, margin of error. But I, I, I am comfortable saying, Brendan, that I'm pretty sure they're n- going to win more than 79 can, games, which you'll recall I scoffed at, like quite literally on this podcast. Can we talk about that for a second? The, the Pakoda thing. The Here's here's the thing. With Pakoda, the most annoying part about that was the individual who was responsible for, for handling Pakoda, like vehemently backed the model. And that's fine. You can back a model. But the argument to back the model was, well, this is baseball. You can't predict baseball. We know our margin of error. That doesn't mean your model is good. And if you make, I make this joke a lot, but if you make that, if you were to develop that model for Google and trying to predict teams and wins, you're going to lose your job, dude. Like the margin of error, the variance for those, for those uh, projections are always like plus or minus six wins. And at the extreme level, they're plus or minus 12 to 15 wins. And so you're really not predicting baseball. At that point, you're not predicting anything. You're giving like a really rough estimate of what you think could happen. So your model like sucks. Like I mean, it's one of the better models because every model sucks because baseball you can't predict baseball. It's just how it is. So that's that's uh, it's just such a pet peeve of mine. And you look at those Pakoda projections. The one pitcher who was at the top of the leaderboard for the Cubs was Yu Darvish. At the bottom of the leaderboard was John Lester. Well, the roles have reversed. In reality, John Lester is the best NL. Uh, year or major league baseball year leader in the league right now, whereas Darvish is looking like Tyler Chadwick. You can't predict this sport. It's, it's a fluky sport. It is what it is. And I think that kind of like segues into Darvish. Just want to mention it. I don't want to go into great detail about it because we know we've belabored this point. Fastball command was not good. The only reason I mentioned Darvish here is because Joe Madden talked about it after the game, and he suggested that Darvish's issues are are mental in nature. And not mechanical. I, I don't know what to think of that. They said the same thing about Chatwood last year, but Chatwood came back after the offseason with a clear mechanical shift, and it's worked so far. So I guess what I'm coming at here is it's discouraging because they have no idea what's going on with Darvish, and to go and suggest, yeah, it's probably mental. When in recent memory, a different pitcher he said the same thing, but he comes back and it's mechanical. It's very disconcerting for me, Corey, not to bring down the party over here because there's been so much positivity, but it it is annoying seeing Darvish do this. Uh, our expectations yeah. for Darvish is that of a top pitcher in the league. I mean, Theo always said he's the premier strikeout pitcher of a generation. So to see him do this, for me, it's so discouraging because you want Darvish to go out there and shove and, and prove all those haters wrong and for him to have his moment and unfortunately we're not there and I I gotta say there's gotta come a point where you really question whether he should be 
in the rotation. I'm, I'm, I'm being dead serious here. You can't go out there and walk, on average, seven guys per nine innings. Cannot be doing that. Can't rely on Mike Montgomery every single time to piggyback off you and go five, six innings to cover for you. It's just it's not a realistic option, especially with this bullpen right now and having its health issues. I I don't know, Corey. The Darvish thing is so bizarre to me because his stuff looks good. His slider right. looks good. He's throwing 98, 99. It's like, what is going on here? Why can this guy not throw a strike? And so I, I hope he figures it out, but I got to say my confidence in him to do so, at least in the immediate future, is pretty low. I think long-term, I would be surprised if Darvish is not valuable for this team, but I think in the, in the immediate next month or two, I don't know if you can expect much out of him. Yeah, I mean, un- unfortunately, and and I know what you mean, you know, about like him in the rotation and all that. And it's it's just one of those things where obviously, you know, given the potential that he has, the expectations for him, and the contract does play into it, you know, whether we want it to be that way or not, it's, it's going to be tough for them to make that decision. And, and, you know, I don't know that it's at that point just yet, but this was a disappointing one. Man. I mean, at what and point do we talk about it seriously then? No, I, right. That's, well, that's the yeah. question. I, I don't know. But this, this is a disappointing one because, you know, in contrast to Saturday uh, when he pitches against the Cardinals, you know, I said that I was, I was obviously really upset that, and you, you guys know this about me, that he walks the first two guys in the half of the inning right after Taylor Davis hits a game-tying Grand Slam, gets him back in the game. So that's obviously frustrating. And, you know, that performance is what it is against a very good St. Louis Cardinals offense. Thursday, though, is where you start to get a little concerned. Because this, no offense to the Marlins or any of their fans that may be listening, but this offense sucks, Brendan. (laughs) And that's not really a term I don't think we use very often on this podcast, but it's really the only way to describe this team. And just just to give context to that, let me read through the the OPSs after, this is after Thursday's game, uh, of this Marlins lineup that you Darvish faced. 605, 662, 641, 829, which is Neil Walker, who is one of those guys who I'm sure his lifetime average against the Cubs is 100 points higher than it is against the rest of the league. But he's the outlier here. 580, 517, 700, 508, and then the pitcher came in with 237. And you walked six guys in four innings. Yeah, he throws 97 pitches in four innings. Like, if this isn't a lineup that you can't go out there and throw, and if they hit you, they hit you, I I don't really know who you're going to be able to succeed against. And the most, you know, perhaps the most concerning trend is that, you know, not that really any portion of this lineup is any good, but this is not the first game, Brendan, where we have seen him not be able to throw strikes to the bottom of people's lineup. And when you were walking the bottom of the Miami Marlins lineup, you you, you, you kind of have to take notice issues. on that and say this is this is a potential problem. I mean, he walked Trevor Richards, the starting pitcher in this game. It's just not something that should be happening and it's it's so frustrating 
because he has such good stuff. His fastball velocity has been great the entire year. His slider has crazy movement. I think he strikes Neil Walker out on this game. I think Len called it a cutter. I don't have it in front of me, but it was a perfectly placed pitch where Walker couldn't do anything with it, but he got convinced to swing at it, and then it broke just a little in and off the plate down. Like, so the stuff is there, but this inability to throw strikes, this abandoning seemingly every game of whatever the game plan is and, you know, trying to use the fastball for strikes and then turning into just this off-speed machine, it's it's tough, man. And, and you yeah, have to I ask don't... yourself the question, too. What, when you do that, when you throw 60% sliders, what is the injury effect of that? Not to say he's going to injure doing that, but there's a reason why pitchers who throw sliders and cutters over 50% of the time get injured. Looking at you, Tyson Ross, looking at you, Chris Archer. <laughs> right. So there's there's two effects of this. One, you don't go deep into games. Two, you potentially predispose yourself to injury and you even delay your progress even more. So that's why I'm saying there comes a point where yeah. you got to start thinking about the health, the the team, the sense of urgency, you, it's got to go all ways, man. If you have right. a pitcher out there walking seven guys per game and you keep letting them do that, where is the urgency? And I'm not saying, yeah, you know, put them in the bullpen right now, but I think the conversation is warranted at this point. I, I do. I don't see any signs where you think to yourself, he could get out of it because your manager is suggesting it's mental. Your pitching coach and your scouting report is being completely abandoned by the second inning I don't see any I don't see any area where you're like you know what he can pull out of this the next start I don't see that Corey it's just I I I don't know it's it is disappointing because I had such high expectations for him and I did not see command being problematic he's never shown this poor command ever in his right. entire career. I don't get what's going on here. And I think you you touched on it a little bit, but it, it does come down to urgency. And I think right now you're in a position where, you know, we just gushed about John Lester. Kyle Hendricks has thrown, you know, 17 innings now in a row of incredible just absolutely incredible baseball. Jose Quintana has looked, you know, probably the best he has for the Chicago Cubs uh, in 2019. Cole Hamels has been giving you quality starts, keeping you in games, got a, a, you know, low threes ERA. So right now, it doesn't feel like there's that pressure for you to be productive or to be uh, at a certain level. But that's also in the same sense not necessarily fair to those other four guys like these are pitchers like you know injuries happen I'm knocking on wood trust me as I say that uh but you know and you can also like you know even when Lester's been good on the whole for a season we've seen him have blow-up outings and Quintana's had blow-up outings Hamels have had blow-up outings so is Hendricks so it puts you know sort of this unfair maybe unfair expectation on these other guys where it's like, yeah, if you is the fifth starter, you know, we could probably tolerate him going out there, being as wild as can be, and, you know, you see how far he can go every fifth day, and hopefully it it, it gets better or, you know, starts on a better path, and those other four guys are going to be, you know, carrying the rotation. But 
can you count on that for the entire season? And what happens if you can't? And then Darvish is still, you know, giving you these 90-something pitch four-inning outings. And, you know, you just read some of the, you know, the amount of times that he has not gone, you know, five innings plus in his Cubs career. I think they said on the broadcast that he was looking for his first win at Wrigley Field. Like some of this stuff is really yeah, depressing, weird, man. man. And and like, I'm glad Montgomery's back. It it was a really big effort from him today to literally put together the equivalent of a start in this game to close this game down, going from the fifth inning to the final out of the game. But is that like, I think uh, another uh, friend of the podcast, Michael Cerami, tweeted this today where he's like, yeah, that's cool, but that's also kind of depressing that that's what was necessary today, is that Mike Montgomery needed to come in and throw five really good innings uh, to relieve you, Darvish. So yeah, it's uh, it's... It's it's a it's a nuanced situation. It's it just hasn't gone as any of us would have expected, and it's yeah, just something that we're gonna have to keep checking on. But you know, the, like I said, I think the last time this came up, like this team is playing too well. I, I, he he has so much potential, and and if he is better, his value to this team and the way you know the level that he could take this team to is is extremely high, but. I, I just, the team's playing too well. There's just too much else going on. We've got four pitchers in the rotation who are just doing really good yeah, things. You can't dwell, you cannot we, we dwell can't on just, Yeah, can't we, we can't really too much dwell on it all on. the time. I, I, I want to read one last Brizzo thing before we go into, uh, you know, the housekeeping of some of those roster moves and, and you know, that we, we touched on at the beginning. Uh, this is from Bleacher Nation, Brett Taylor. And this is from one of the articles that he just posted on Brizzo, and it's just a little note that I think is uh, an awful lot of fun here. He he was talking about Rizzo and Bryant uh, having you know the 147 and the 145 WRC plus respectively, and he says both guys are now in the top 12 in the National League in terms of WRC plus. And I'm thinking, oh, that's a fun little note. But Brett had a follow up here. Uh, we're not done with the fun on this uh, super fun. Uh, on this particular yeah. note. In parentheses, Brett adds, oh, but fun fact, there are two Cubs ahead of them on that list, and that would be Javi Baez and Wilson Contreras. Like Brendan has continued to say, this offense uh, is and has the potential to be the best in the National League. In Major League Baseball, Corey, not just the NL. Come on, we got to give them more yes. credit. Yes, uh, those are. I, I think super fun is is a really good <laughs> way of describing those numbers. That that is super fun. I'm I'm having a lot of fun reading them. But okay, let's get to uh, some of these roster moves. Again, we talked about Mike Montgomery coming up. He obviously pitched today. He was good in the minors for the Iowa Cubs earns the call up and immediately, you know, kind of gets back to where his uh, value has shined for this Chicago Cubs team, uh, kind of being able to, you know, go between short relief, long relief, spot starts, turns in the rotation, etc. He's been an extremely valuable piece uh, for this Cubs team, and he showed that again on Thursday. You may also remember Len uh, was careful to point this out in the broadcast on Thursday that Mike Montgomery was actually on the mound uh, in Game 7 of the World Series in extra innings mm-hmm. and yeah. gets the final out uh, as the, the Cubs Series. win the World Series. Cubs win so, the World Series, yeah. 
I, I do want to make sure to uh, pass that, that, that very specific note along. Uh, like we said, Pedro Strope on the injured list, we have already complained about the Cubs handling of that, as I think you guys were certainly expecting. Um, Ben Zobrist to the restricted list. I do want to touch on this for a second. Um, We are definitely not going to speculate as to what the reason for this may be, Uh, but this is something that is noteworthy because the restricted list is not something we see used that often. And basically, the difference between the restricted list and like the injured list or the bereavement list is that the restricted list does not have that kind of short, specific timetable for how long the person has to be on it. It's it's sort of an indefinite leave that is kind of meant to be like, well, this person is away from baseball for a while for a variety of reasons. Um but when they come back, they're you know still retained by the team that has them under contract. And he's so, off the forty-man roster too, which right, is right. It temporarily opens the spot on the forty-man exactly, roster. Yeah. Yes. So all I'm going to say on that, uh, again, I'm not going to speculate as to what's going on. I really couldn't, even if I was going to try. Uh, but all I'm going to say is that I it's been listed as personal reasons. So I'm going to take that at face value and say that simply. I hope that everything is all right with Ben, with his family, with his personal life, whatever is going on. We heard him, uh, you know, that he arrived late to spring training because of personal reasons as well. I do not know if this is the same situation. I do not know if they're related. I don't know what's going on, truthfully. But all I would say is I sincerely wish the best to Ben and his family, and I hope that they are able to get through whatever this situation is, uh, healthy, safe, whatever the situation may be, that is my main takeaway on this. And, you know, look, we've, uh, you know, you've, if you've been watching this team since he signed here, you know the value that Ben has to this team. You know what he is able to provide for this team, uh, either as, you know, a regular everyday player or uh, a depth player, uh, you know, pinch hitter, whatever it is, Ben has come up in those roles and and been everything as advertised when the Cubs signed him. So I, again, hope that everything is all right with him, that he's able to handle it, and that he's back with this team soon. We, yeah. I, you know, we will certainly miss Ben Zobrist for however long he is not with this team. And the last move, like I mentioned in the outset of this podcast, is that the Cubs did make the decision to call up Addison Russell. He does get back into uh, game action on Wednesday. He was met with pretty resounding boos, uh, which, you know, I got to say I appreciated from the Wrigley Field crowd. As Theo said, he has to earn any other reception and, uh, you know, that the crowd is in the right to react that way. Again, uh, we have stated on here before, and I did in the beginning of this podcast, that we were disappointed that he was retained by this team and disappointed that he came back. But as I said with this situation, when the allegations first came out, when he was ultimately suspended for violating the league's domestic violence policy, this is not within my decision or Brendan's decision. This is a decision that the Cubs have made to go through this process. They have told us fans all along that their belief is that they want to be a part of the solution, that they have consulted with people who believe that this can help to be part of the solution. 
And my only hope, guys, is that that is what happens. Uh, again, he he's back on this team. He played in a game for the Cubs. So, you know, that that is where the situation is. That is the, the course of action that they have taken. I sincerely hope that he is has been getting the help that he needs and that he is a better person for it and that he can be a better boyfriend, a better father, and learn and grow from this entire experience. I, I think that's the only thing that I, uh, you know, can really offer up other than, again, reiterating that we didn't really want him on this team and, and don't really now, yeah. but that's the decision that yeah. they made and one that we uh, all, you know, have to go forward with uh, for better or worse. So, yeah, man, it sucks. Um, like you were saying, the the first thing that comes to mind is you hope that Russell's family is doing better, particularly Melissa and his children. And it is a fluid situation. And like what Theo was saying, this is a conditional second chance and it's going to be fluid. Previewing this upcoming series against the Milwaukee Brewers, will be a fun one. We have great matchups. It's a three-game set. First game starts Friday at 1.20 p.m. at beautiful Wrigley Field. Gio Gonzalez will be taking the mound for Milwaukee. He'll be facing Jose Quintana, who's been mostly good against Milwaukee, got roughed up a little bit in his most recent start against him. But Q on the year, really good. 4-1, a 3.4 ERA. Gio Gonzalez, no decisions. He's 0-0 with a 2.61 ERA. On the second game of the set, we have Zach Davies facing Cole Hamels. Both of those pitchers have yet to been tagged with a loss. Davies is 4-0 with a 1.56 ERA. Great start for Davies. Cole Hamels, as we all know, another good start. He's a 3.38 ERA. And then on Sunday... To finish off the three-game set, we'll be under the Wrigley Field Lights, another Sunday night baseball broadcast for this team at Wrigley. We have Julius Chassin, who's not doing so well compared to last year. He's 3-3 three and three with a 5.03 ERA. He'll be facing off against your boy, Corey, John Lester, who is essentially the major league leader in ERA. Lester, of course, with that two, uh, with that 1.41 ERA and that 2-1 run record. So the standings as we are recording this right now, Cubs sit 22-13. and 13. They are one full game up of Milwaukee. That will stay true until they play tomorrow. Milwaukee's 23-16. and 16. They've been playing a lot better recently. And just to give the, the complete uh, spectrum of the NL Central, we have the Cardinals at third place. They've been going through a little bit of a rough patch here. So they're at 21-16, and 16, two games back of the Cubs. Behind the Cardinals is the Pirates at 17-16, and 16, four games back of the Cubs. And then deep in the cellar is the Cincinnati Reds who are 16-22 with a 7.5 game back tally from the Cubs. The Cubs right now are a little back from the Dodgers from having the best record in the National League. The Dodgers are 25-14. and 14. Outside of that, the Cubs do have the best record in the National League. And as we all know, they've been playing extremely well. 10 of their last 11 games, they have won. What I'm looking for this series is how they utilize that bullpen. We don't know who's going to be closing. Matt instead is a free-for-all, and we saw Kyle Ryan get a chance. We saw Steve Cizek get a chance, but we saw Tyler Chatwood pitch in uh, the 10th inning of that second game, or rather that third game. 
So who knows what's going to happen? I my my personal preference is just give the ball to Steve Cizek. That just in the short term, I I trust him. He has closing experience. He's getting a lot of whiffs this year. The command has escaped him at times, but I just trust him. I trust that veteran presence. I trust his stuff. So if it's up to me, I'm giving Cizek the nod as the as a prototypical closer, but. That's probably not going to happen. Yeah, the, this bullpen situation, man. They've been really good, and they, you know, they continue to, uh, you know. I think we read that Bleacher Nation stat the last time uh, since they made those shuffles. I think around April seventh, they have been a top bullpen in the league. But this is a very risky approach to things, and I, I you know, I know there's not an easy answer, and I haven't been exactly like super strong on like the Craig Kimbrell bandwagon because I think he has some concerns himself that obviously he would improve the state of this bullpen, but I I don't think he's that like super solution that some, you know, seem to think. And I think at this point we're close enough to the draft that they're not going to do it uh, until they can wait and not give up that pick. But this is a dicey situation, man. So it's going to be something to just monitor pretty much on a daily basis because, you know, for as good as Steve Ciszek has been as a Cub, his usage is is getting off the charts at this point. And, you know, you just have to wonder like how much you can rely on him to be that guy, uh, you know, every single day or, you know, two of three days, whatever it ends up being. And it does put, you know, probably some eyes on a guy like Carl Edwards, because as we've talked about, he's a guy that has the stuff to be a high leverage, you know, late inning closer type guy. And it's just a question of whether he's able to rein in that command, because the issues that we saw with the command earlier this year, and that we've seen throughout his career, you can't, you can't trust him in those situations, but he's had two really good outings since he came back. He was really good in uh, his stint in the minors, lots of outings with no walks, clean innings. And, you know, it's similar to, I think, how we were looking at this bullpen in the beginning of the year. It's one of those things where you kind of just reward guys for stepping up and performing in big spots. We, we you know, we've seen Brandon Kinsler earn a lot more reps and higher leverage spots because he's been good in them. And I think that's what you have to keep doing going forward. I, I I wouldn't jump feet first into saying, well, let's just see if Carl can do it. But I think you, you know, take it step by step with these guys and say, hey, if they get through it day one, let's give them a day two and, you know, keep going that way. But it's it's a dicey situation. It was dicey before you take Strope out and you're you know, you're playing with fire. I mean, that, that that's just the way it is. I, this bullpen has been really good, um, but when you don't have a bona fide closer, you've got guys on the injured list, and you're putting guys in roles that maybe they're not super familiar with, it's, you know, uh, a, a, an interesting situation. Let's use the word interesting. It's definitely not super yes. fun. I wouldn't describe it as super fun. Uh, most <laughs> things around the Cubs right now are super fun, but certainly not all of them. So, but as far as this Milwaukee series is concerned, uh, this is kind of a perfect spot for this series. The last series the Cubs lost was in Milwaukee to these Brewers. I think there's no better way to get to the even number of uh, 10 series, having not lost one, 
again, that stupid tie with the Angels just ruins how good this this stat could be and how good these graphics could look. But I digress. It's the perfect way to kind of round this all out. Uh, you know, the last one they lost was to the Brewers, and you know now they have a chance to avenge that at home. And, and you know, similar to that Cardinals series, like you want to beat up on the Marlins, you want to, you know, you sweep them in Miami, you take three or four from them in Chicago, like you want to be doing that, you want to be racking up the wins against the good teams. But in a competitive division like the NL Central, you're you're going to make your money on performing against the teams that you need to beat. And the easiest way to kind of avoid big games down the stretch and in September, like we saw in 2018, is to take care of business when these teams especially come to your ballpark and, you know, make it known like you're not going to come here and steal games from us at our ballpark. So I, yeah, just keep the winning ways going, man. I mean, again, it it really... Like, I don't think you can give this team enough credit for the way that they rebounded from that bad start early and the position that they put themselves in, the fact that they are in first place and, you know, with the ability to try and create some distance. The Cardinals are blowing out, uh, I think, the Pirates tonight, whoever they're playing. Uh, So they're going to get a win on Thursday night. But, you know, with Milwaukee, you know, kind of looking at you in second place, this is a great time to bring them into Wrigley Field and send them out of there with, uh, you know, a couple games back in the division. And other than that, I think that is all that we have for you for this episode. It was a fun series with the Marlins. It didn't start on a particularly fun note uh, with the bullpen blowing that one on Monday, but two walk-offs after that and a uh, solid 4-1 to win on Thursday. It's uh, It was another good series for the Cubs, so let's just hope that they can keep things rolling as Christian Yelich and the Milwaukee Brewers come to town. We, as always, thank you guys for listening. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Spreaker. And again, if we're not on the medium that you prefer to listen to podcasts, just let us know and we will do the best we can to get on there. Brendan is at Cubs Related. I am at CF Cubs Related. You can find us and our work at Real Cubs Insider on Twitter and Instagram and CubsInsider.com. As always, we thank you guys very much for listening. We've got another Sunday night baseball uh, weekend with the Brewers here, so we will talk to you late on Sunday night, early Monday morning. And whether we are watching them walk off or win a very normal uh, start where Darvish goes four and Montgomery goes five on Thursday, as always, go Cubs. A lot. Keep your whole home running like clockwork from the office to the game room with Xfinity Internet. You'll get the best in-home Wi-Fi experience with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, Grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. Keep all your entertainment options centered with Xfinity X1. Access live TV, Netflix, and now Hulu and Peacock. Ah, streaming zen. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today. Restrictions apply. Netflix, Hulu, and Peacock memberships required. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. 
Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy.